Welcome to the Person and the Power podcast with Pastor Tim Johnson, as he invites us to cultivate a deep and profound relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living and loving God. After 25 years of ministry, Pastor Tim's desire is that all of us would experience both the Spirit's transformational intimacy and the supernatural activity in our daily lives. Now, here's Pastor Tim. Hey, welcome back to Romans 6. As you have figured out by now, we're taking the slow boat through these verses. And that's good, so that we can dig in, so that the Word of God can soak in. Amen? This week's a little bit different and a little bit unique because it is Holy Week. Now, if you listen to this on the day it comes out, you'll be listening to it on Good Friday. I am recording this on what is normally known as Betrayal Wednesday on in the Christian church. It is when Judas began to make and finalize the plans to betray Christ in the garden on Thursday night. Um, so we hope and pray, as I encouraged Firmers Chapel on Sunday of Palm Sunday last week, to make this week personal. Hope and pray it's been very personal to you, and hope and pray that it will continue to be personal through this glorious weekend of Good Friday, Silent Saturday, and of course, glorious Resurrection Sunday morning. I've been noticing this week specifically, the green has come out. It's been really in in my neck of the woods, wherever you might be listening. But I know here in southern Indiana, the green has come out. I've already had to mow the yard once. It looks like I'll be mowing again in very soon. But the green has come out. Guess what? Once the green has come out, it don't go back in. Not until several months from now. So the brown is gone. The gray is, has been eliminated. Everything around here has greened up and budded up. And it's done that on Holy Week. I just find that to be pretty, uh, pretty special for me, at least. It's one of the ways that I have made this week pretty special with a lot of my walks and runs I take in the mornings and afternoons. I just look and listen and I let kind of God, the God of creation, really speak to me. And through the green and through all of this, it has been just a, yeah, it's been a blessing to see the green come out. Because again, once the green has come out, it stays. It's here until the fall and winter. So anyway, hope and pray that you have made this week pretty unique and special. Again, Holy Week. And for me, this week is very special and unique as well because tomorrow, again, I'm taping on Wednesday. If you listen to it when it comes out, it'll be Friday. And tomorrow, Thursday, April the 6th, is my 32nd wedding anniversary. Makes it pretty special. This week is a really special week for me. So as I'm reading through Romans 6, specifically 15 through 18 now, that's the chunk that we'll be looking at. That's the passage that we're looking at today. I am reminded of righteousness. Why? Because it says it two or three times in that passage. In three or four verses, short little verses, there is righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. And I can't help then but think of my wife. 32 years of righteousness. 32 years. So we could not have been probably more different. Pam and I, we grew up in different homes. Um, I grew up in a very broken home. Grew up, um, mom and dad 
remained married until my dad passed away when I was 15 years old. And I can't remember how long they had been married, but it had been a, a pretty good chunk of time, 30 plus years at least, maybe longer. I think maybe even 40. He died when he was 65 years old. But honestly, um, it was a broken marriage. It just, it was. It was just not a really good marriage. It certainly wasn't a good role model of a marriage. Near the end, uh, most of what I remember, uh, dad slept upstairs, mom slept downstairs, not just because of snoring or anything else. They just didn't like each other. And you could tell because of the way they talked and treated each other. But at that point, divorce was just simply not an option for whatever reason. That was not an option. And I don't think it was about religious reasons, honestly. Uh, uh, they weren't the most religious people in the world. Now, maybe they read a Bible verse or two that said you, know, you shouldn't divorce. But they stayed together, I think, for the sake of us kids. And good, bad, or ugly, you know, again, they did the best they could. But it was a broken home, and we won't dwell on that, but it was a broken home. Now, contrast that with Pam. Oh, my gosh, Pam, uh, Pam's mom and dad were uh, just had really a model marriage. They really did in many ways. Now, uh, all of our parents are, have, have passed. Pam's dad just passed in January of this year. It is a little different feeling, isn't it, to be parentless? Uh, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've lost both parents. Some of you, hopefully, still blessed and still very much not taking it for granted that you have at least one, if not both, of your parents still around. But it is a, a unique, in a kind of a sad kind of way, to be parentless. Both par sets of parents have passed away now. So, but role model, you know, the role model has lingered. And so me coming from a broken home, Pam coming from a, a strong Christian-based, faith-based, very solid home. She has shared testimony before. She's spoken at Emmaus Walks and and uh, and different ministries, Aldersgate and different things. And she has said before that her life growing up with her mom and dad was so sweet it would get it would give leave it to beaver cavities and if you remember the old uh, uh tv uh 30 minute show of leave it to beaver i guess they called it a sitcom but they had um I mean, it was just everything worked out at the end. I also equate that to Father Knows Best. You remember that one back in the day? So if not, you can Google it and you can kind of get a taste of it. But Payne would say that her life was really sweet in that regard. Mine, not so much. So when we connected, when we got together, it was anything, there was nothing about her that I was used to, but everything about her attracted me to her. Not just even physically, and I thought she was cute as all get out, but there was something about her. So I've shared this story before. Some of you could probably quote it. Um, uh, again, give me a couple of minutes here for those who have, may not have heard it. We worked at the same newspaper in E-Town, um, the News Enterprise, and I you know, I was just coming out of a divorce myself, um, first marriage, four years, young and dumb, made some bad decisions. We just never, we neither one of us had real faith in, 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 in any God at all, except ourselves and, and our trying to build our lives, but just didn't work real well. Four years later, I'm divorced. And um, this was probably within a year, maybe a little bit after a year, where I started thinking about, okay, what's the rest of my life look like? I don't necessarily want to be single. I, I'm kind of built for companionship, I think. And Pam, uh, obviously, again, cute. We had great conversation. We were friends. Now, I worked in a different department than she did. So one night, I want to say it was a Thursday night, but one night, 
later in the evening. Uh, she's a reporter. I'm a copy editor or the news editor, actually, in charge of uh, a different department in the newspaper. This is back in the day when newspapers were printed on paper. <laughs> so those are rare. Those are far and few between today. So, so I went to her desk and uh, kind of sat on the corner of her desk. I make the joke, remember Joey Tribbiani from the, the, the show Friends, how you doing? You know, so I made that, I've made that joke before. I don't think I used that line, but as we were talking, I, I did, I think I made some statement to this effect. Would you ever consider dating someone with my past? Because obviously knowing I'm divorced, would you, someone, would you ever, would you consider dating me? And her answer just struck me. Her answer was, well, righteous. She said, I'd have to pray about that. Now, you just have to understand where I was and where I was um, in my faith, little to no faith. I thought, I, I literally, I remember to this day thinking, I'm not asking you to marry me. I'm not asking you to bear my children. I'm asking if you want to go out for a pizza and a movie. That's it. And you've got to pray about it. You've got to talk to the the eternal God of the universe that you believe in about it. And so she went on. She said, well, and I, and I still don't remember. And she, we, you know how married couples sometimes, sometimes disagree on facts. <laughs> so I don't remember if this was a Memorial Day weekend or a Labor Day weekend. I want to, I, I want to tend toward the Labor Day weekend sometimes, but uh, I don't remember for sure. But whatever it was, it was a long weekend and she was about ready to go back home. Now, Again, we worked together in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, my hometown. Well, she's from Chicago, just south, just south of Chicago City and Orland Park, Tinley Park area. And she was going to go home about five and a half, maybe you know, five and a half hours, six hour drive. She was going to go home for the weekend, a long weekend. Again, I think Labor Day weekend. And she said this, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to go home for the weekend. Let me pray about it. Let me talk to God about it. <laughs> I sat there. I still remember thinking, let me save you some time. If you're going to ask the God of the universe, if you, being righteous, being holy, being a Christian, should date me, who honestly was anything but righteous and holy at the time, I'll save you some time. I'll save you some trouble. I'll tell you what your God will say. Run. <laughs> Flee. So I said, I said, okay. I didn't know. I mean, I was stammering. I like, uh, I don't, no pickup line in the world was preparing me for her response. So she leaves. And that was the longest weekend of my life, guys. It had to have been the longest. I just, I never probably stopped thinking about it. I was probably worried about it. I really thought, you know, I, I thought Pam was cute. We had a great friendship. And I'm just thinking, um, trying to figure out what in the world she's going to come back with. I mean, she's got to, there's no way uh, she's going to say yes, right? <laughs> and so now what? I guess I'm, I guess I'm back to zero. So she comes back. Now she comes back on Monday or Monday night, maybe Tuesday. Again, we worked in different uh, departments, uh, even though we could see each other, we didn't really have a chance to chat until probably maybe a, a full week later. So that next so the following Thursday after Labor Day. So I had asked her on Thursday. And so the following Thursday. So a week later, I remember sitting on the edge of her desk again, 
how you doing? Again, not, but so we were just chatting. How's your weekend? Da 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 da. Finally, I built up enough courage to ask. So, what did he say? <laughs> and she answered me, and she said this. She said, "Well." I did spend some time in prayer and really asking the Lord, what should I do? Because for me, she said, this is a big deal. Uh, I have tried most of my life to live um, the way that Jesus would want me to live it. And that means righteously and holy. Um, I, I want him to guide and direct all my decisions, you know, something to that effect. And she said this, she said, there's really two conditions. So I'm thinking, so you're saying there's a chance, all right? So she said, she said, there's two conditions. Number one, I'm a virgin and I will be a virgin until the night that I'm married. Well, my first thought was, okay, we'll see about that. I'll, I, honestly, I'm thinking, well, maybe I'll just, maybe I can change your opinion on that. I didn't. Um, and, but that one kind of like, wow. And I think we were at the time, 20, I want to say 25, 26. And she said, I'm a virgin. I'm, I'm going to stay that way until the night we're married. And second, I need you to know, I don't, I'm not, I'm, you know, at my age, at 25, 26, whatever, I'm not going to be dating casually, probably looking at some long-term relationship that will end in more than just dating casually, more than just pizza and a movie, which is why she was asking the Lord, right? And she said this, you've got to know, I will always love someone, another man, more than you. I will always love another man more than you. Wow. Now at the time, admittedly, in my flesh, in my non-Christian in my uh, in my pagan flesh, the first condition bothered me more than the second. The second one, I thought, eh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, okay. I know you're a woman of faith. I know you're uh, you love Jesus. I, I get it. I get it. I, I don't really care. Uh, I didn't have any faith. I didn't really think I was ever going to have faith. I was a Christian atheist. I've told many people that all, over and over. I'm, I'm, I was a Christian atheist. I pretended. Um, and I fooled a lot of people. I had a lot of people fooled, uh, but not God. And so that first one was the one that was I felt like was going to kind of be the, the, the tripping point. But as it turned out, um, that second one actually was the one that tended to be the, the problem, especially early in our marriage. So we went out and uh, thus began a beautiful relationship. Uh, we both enjoy the outdoors, still do. Uh, I think I've shared before our idea of a perfect vacation is uh, finding the perfect trail, finding waterfalls, uh, finding lakes, and uh, finding really good coffee shops. That's our perfect date. And and finding then some maybe a good restaurant in the evening to eat at. That's our perfect spring break, fall break vacation. And so we have a lot in common. Obviously, uh, even then, we uh, loved canoeing and kayaking, and uh, we loved sports. She was a volleyball player. We played co-ed softball together. I was a basketball player, da-da-da-da. And so we hit it off, right? But the one thing that was missing in my life was righteousness. The one thing that she continued to live into, righteousness. And that began a seven-year, uh, after we uh, dated for a while, we got engaged, we got married, 
But seven years of our marriage became some of the hardest years of our lives together because of that, that right there, righteousness. Because I chose not to have righteousness. She had already chosen years and years and years ago that righteousness was a part of her DNA. That caused the issue. So we jump to Romans 6. So now you know probably as we talk about Romans 6, 15 through 18, you know why when I think of righteousness, I think of my wife. She is one of the most righteous people in the world. She's loving, she's graceful, she's kind, she's compassionate. She is the best wife on the planet. She has loved me with every ounce of grace known possible to man and given by the Holy Spirit of God. And um, I continue to be amazed at how she 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 loves the Lord and she loves me and she loves her family and she loves her friends and she loves the kingdom of God. And uh, when I think of righteousness, no, I think of her. Righteousness, uh, it's been said before, righteousness does not color with a gray crayon. And that would mean God does not use gray crayons. So that means he doesn't gray sin. He doesn't gray what holiness is. Holiness is holiness and sin is sin. That is my wife. My wife is black and white. She uses two crayons, black and white. And, and I know the world today, the culture uses gray crayons a lot. Well, here's what marriage really is. Well, here's what gender really is. Here's what sin really is. Here's what holiness is. But we need to really understand what God says about both. And I think my wife, uh, good, bad, or ugly, and, and some people are intimidated by my wife because she has such a clear understanding of what is righteous and what is not. And I've learned from her, if I'm just really honest, uh, I tend to be, I tend to give grace too much. And I wonder if there's such a thing, but I think there is, because sometimes grace, um, lazy, sloppy grace is abusive grace. It's it's uh, taken advantage of grace. Uh, it's, you know, this grace that says, it's okay, God's okay with my sinning, God's okay with my immaturity, God's okay with, with decisions that I'm making that benefit me, not the kingdom. And that's not righteousness. And so, yes, grace is involved in all aspects of God and all aspects of our lives. It should be. Grace should mark us, but so should righteousness. Paul says it this way, verse 15, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Once again, kind of a question he asked a few verses earlier. Of course not, with an exclamation point. And that the, the euphemism is like, well, no. It's like almost like that's crazy thinking. That's crazy talk. Verse 16, don't, don't you realize, look at this, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? Look at that. So we get to choose, hang on, we get to choose, hang on, we get to choose to obey. Yes, we do. Because we've been born again. We have a new nature now. Now we get to choose. Before the new nature, we couldn't choose. We were bound by sin because of the new nature, because of what Christ has done, because of the blood being applied to our lives, because of faith in, in that, because of the grace of God, because of the, the power of God. We now have the, cho- the choice to make to obey sin or to, to obey God. Because he says, you can choose to be a slave. You can be a slave to sin, he says, which leads to death. Or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteousness. Verse 17, thank God, exclamation point, meaning a moment of praise. Just stop and say, thank God. Can we just thank God? Can we just praise him right now? Thank God, I now get to choose. I get to choose. You get to choose. We get to choose whether we're going to be righteous or not. 
We didn't have a choice before. Is that making sense? We didn't have a choice before. We couldn't choose righteousness on our own. The only way we could choose righteousness is to be given a new nature that leans toward righteousness, that leads us to righteousness, that compels us to righteousness. Without Christ, we are compelled to darkness. We are compelled to unholy living. We are compelled to our own fleshly nature. Thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. And he ends with this section in verse 18. Now you are free from the slavery to sin and you have become slaves to anyone. Want to guess what that word would be? It starts with an R, righteousness, becoming a slave of righteousness. Wow. This is the power of the cross. This is the power of the new birth. This is the power of regeneration. This is the power of justification. This is the power of sanctification. This is the power of the blood of Jesus. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the gospel. We now get to choose. We, we no longer are slaves bound up by sin and darkness. We get to choose righteousness because we are now called to be righteous. And we now have the ability to be righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Wow. So Pam and I, 32 years, I don't know what big plans we're going to do tomorrow. Um, it's not a uh, it's not a hallmark year, you know, it's not a signature year, 2025 or 30, 35, 50, 45, whatever. It's a 32 year, you know, but still each and every year to be celebrated. I guarantee us somewhere, somehow tomorrow will involve Mexican food. It will involve, it'll probably involve El Pastor tacos. All right. Uh, I like El Pastor tacos because it's named after my profession anyway. So, but, uh, it will involve something to that degree. Whatever it is, I do know this. For 32 years, I have watched a righteous woman of God honor the righteous choice that she gets to make. Now, she's not always made the righteous choice. However, she's made the righteous choice a whole lot more than myself. But in those seven years, the first seven years of our marriage, before I committed my life to Christ, before I was born again, I watched her. And we would argue, I would fight with her, I would, I would just be so mad at her because she always chose righteousness. Oh, <laughs> come on, honey, choose unrighteousness once. Come on, go ahead, give in to unrighteousness, come on. <laughs> but she couldn't, well, she could. But for years and years before that, she had already learned to be a slave to righteousness. She had chosen righteousness so many times, folks, that there's almost no longer a choice. It was now a righteous habit. It was a habit for her to be righteous. I know she'll listen to this and, and she'll kind of shake her head and roll her eyes a few times thinking, oh my gosh, you have built me up. Or, But I will say, I've, I've never met a woman. I've never met a man. I've never met a person with more of a, what I, what I, Pam and I talk about this all the time, her righteousness quote, quote, her righteousness bar, her bar of righteousness, the, the bar that she has been set in her life. I've never met a person with a higher bar. And that gets her in trouble sometimes because she hopes and wants and expects others to maybe have that same bar. And guess what? 
others still color with a gray crayon, with a gray crayon, not with black and white. And sometimes it can cause frustration. Sometimes it can cause anger. But I will say to you, wow, I've never known a person who's lived this passage so wholeheartedly than my wife of 32 years. She has chosen righteousness. She continues to choose righteousness and she is a slave to righteousness. Why? Because of a habit years and years ago, once she came to Christ years and years ago, a habit that has been now instilled in her by the power of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and yes, by the grace of God. My prayer for us is that we will choose righteousness. We will choose righteous living, and that will be our standard. Be blessed. We will celebrate a 32nd anniversary. Hope and pray you will celebrate well this week. Pastor Tim is the co-founder and teaching director of the Joshua Center, a leadership training ministry which provides deep biblical roots to great movements of God. He's also the senior pastor of Firmers Chapel, a country church by a creek, reaching 13 countries on four different continents for Jesus and his kingdom. Join us next time as we grow deeper in the person and the power.